Okay, the format is we, we take any questions from this morning's message, and then any questions from further out messages, and then if we get nothing there, any questions at all. And I assure you we will get out promptly because I have promised my wife and others that my vacation begins at 11.30 promptly today. Um, it will. It, it is so. This is like the law of the Medes and the Persians. One is, is written. So, with that, questions? My vacation's starting early. Okay. <laughs> no, no, sir, any, anybody? Anybody? Yes. I don't know if this is a oh, oh, the microphone. That definitely was a question. I don't know if this is a question. So I can, I can, I got you covered there. I don't know if this is a question. Is this on uh, or not? It's more of a statement mm. or a beg for uh, help. We live in a world where people say, "Don't judge me." Mm. Yet we. I find myself, I'll speak for myself, I find myself judging people all the time. Mm. Uh, how do we not, there seems to be a fine line between what's right and wrong, mm. and mm. yet we find ourselves being the ones to convict others of what they, we feel they are doing wrong. Right. How do we do that in a way that is righteous? That is a great question. First, I'll make a shameless plug for a standalone message. When we went through Jesus' sermon on the plane, John chapter, I mean Luke chapter six, when we got to the section on judge not, I did a standalone message on okay, judge not or judge. What about the passages we're told to judge? Trying to deal with exactly that. You could check that on the podcast. The short answer would be this: the questions to ask, I, I threw out is one: Do I have any prerogative, any responsibility, any position, or any right? to evaluate somebody. I mean, frequently that's what I have to challenge myself with. Um, you know, who am I to sit in judgment of my president or other people? You know, I mean, is it my job? His job tasks me with evaluating and judging them. Well, you're an employer. You absolutely have people. You're a parent. You have people that you are tasked with evaluating. The second would be, um, am I judging actions or motives? Because absolutely the scripture tells them you'll know the false teachers by their fruit. So I can see the fruit of somebody, what they do, their actions, their words, and say, that's unrighteous, that's corrupt. Or am I judging their motives, why I think they're doing it? Well, he only does that because, and now I'm in the territory of the Lord who says, I don't view outwardly as man views, but I see the inward person of the heart. That's what he tells Samuel when he's um, looking at Jesse's sons. Um, so if you find yourself judging someone's motives, you're, you're probably playing God. That's what I find I'm doing. I'm playing God. Um, but absolutely, we can judge actions and fruit. And I do that all the time with my kids, helping them understand what they see. We'll see the news, and they'll be confused by something. No, that wasn't right. But, and then the third thing is there's a difference between rendering a verdict and a judgment. That's wrong. And then making myself the one who gives the penalty. Am I the, the executioner, as it were? So can I say it's wrong without despising them and looking down on them, without saying that terrible, terrible person? Can I say that was wrong? Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. That, that was wrong. The Bible says that was corrupt. That was wicked. That's not good. And being self-righteous, forgetting that I do the same things, and looking down on them, and not just identifying that it's wrong, but judging them. And that's usually what most people mean when they say, don't judge me, is don't look down on me. Don't hold me in scorn. Don't, don't render the punishment. You know what I mean? Um, that's how you think usually what they mean. Does that help as a starting point? I mean, that's, that's, those would be my starting sort of 
criteria. Um, do I have any prerogative or business judging this person? A th a th another piece would also be, do I have enough data to render a verdict? The Proverbs say that uh, he who gives an answer without hearing, to him it is folly and shame. And one person's case seems right until another comes and examines him. That's what, that's what freaks me out so much about people... For, I'm going to use freak out twice there. That's what bothers me so much with the way people freak out on Facebook about like, like a cop just got acquitted for shooting someone. Like it looks sketchy. I don't know enough details to render any verdict. And the people who did hear the most data, why shouldn't I default until I know all the data to their judgment? And people will read some headline and be like, that's terrible. And whether it's our guys or the opponent's guys, whether it's the liberals or the, or the Republicans, whether... People are just flying off the handle, judging, pronouncing verdicts. This is awful. This is great. This is terrible. And we don't know all the details at all. And and so I think that those proverbs condemn us frequently because we're giving answers without hearing. And it is foolish and it is shameful when we do that. Um, we bring shame upon ourselves when we speak rashly. So that'd be the last piece is do I really have enough information to give a verdict? Now, there are some things I don't need much information if, uh, you know, if... Um, if I see somebody clock somebody in the face, get up out of their seat, walk over, and just punch them, I can't really conceive of any scenario where that's good. Like, it still might be helpful. Why did you do that? But that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. Like, that seems clear. But a lot of times, you need the extra information. What was going on when you did what you did? So the three-minute version, that's my answer. And you can go back and check. Uh, if you go chronologically back in the podcast, it'll be the week after Judge Not. We did a standalone. Because we are told, judge with a righteous judgment, not by appearance. Um, and even in Judge Not, it's after you pull the log out of your eye, then you can get the speck out of your brother's eye. So Judge Not doesn't mean be blind to what other people are doing. It really just means deal with yourself first and then make sure you don't have a double standard where you, because, because I tell fibs and I stretch the truth and other people lie, you, you see. Um, and other people are jerks and I can just get a little impatient and, and then we have this double standard. So first deal with yourself and then with that standard, you can then try to deal with other people. Anyway, that's, that's the short version for now, Kevin, unless you want to go further with it and then, yeah. Okay. Anything else? Nope. Microphone. Yo. Donna Thompson appreciates it, as do others. I kind of understand what he's saying, though, because we had a family situation where we were being judged, mm. and these people were Christian. Mm. I mean, high Christians, they claimed. But Corey was in Afghanistan, and they were writing him letters, judging him. But yet, if we said anything, we were the judgmental ones. Yeah. And it was so hypocritical. Mm. And then it was put on Facebook that their atheist, our atheist brother-in-law, would see Christ before Corey and I. Wow. But, and that's not judgmental, but yet, so I understand what he's saying, is because they judge us and it's, yeah. it's okay, but we can't judge them back. So what's right? right? You know? Well, what's right is to see the ugliness of hypocrisy, to see the ugliness of unrighteous judgment, and pray that we won't do the same, and then trust that God will vindicate you. Trust that God will, on the day of wrath, either they will pay for that injustice on the day of judgment, or Christ has already borne God's wrath for that injustice. And you can trust that whatever wrongs have been done will be righted. And you can remind, let's, let's make sure we never do that, because that is ugly, that is painful, and that is not good. So 
Well, especially when he's in Afghanistan. Yeah. And he had to shut his, his email yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they were sending quotes and, and scripture and all this, and he's mm. sending it back around. He gave up. You know, don't talk to him when he's carrying a gun. Going <laughs> You know? That's good advice. Yeah. That's good advice. Well, I, I think that's that'll, that'll, no. I got you. I got you. Yeah. 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 Amen. Indeed. Indeed. I'm sorry you guys went through that, Steve. So what's the difference between judgment and discerning? I think the uh, I think one's a broader category. Discernment is inter- is more with interpretation. Judgment is with conclusion. So discernment has the idea of sifting, separating, dividing. So in Hebrews 5, um, those who are trained in discernment through a constant practice of separating good from evil. So you're constantly holding things up to the word, and you're this, not that, the wheat, the chaff, the wheat, the chaff. The judgment speaks more to the verdict um, that is given. And that can be used in all sorts of senses. I mean, we judge all the time, right? I mean, when you go to the restaurant, you try to figure out what, based on all the factors of what I'm hungry for, what's healthy, and what's expensive, you come to a verdict and a decision. But most people don't use the word judge like that. Um, so usually it's a negative judgment. I mean, no one's bothered by a positive judgment. Wow, you're really smart. Don't judge me. You never hear that, right? So, so what... <laughs> Like, wow, you did a great job of it. Don't judge me. We don't, it's always negative. So we got to narrow it down because we use judgment all the time. But what most people are talking about with judgment is the negative evaluation. Um, and I think usually it's connected with us trying to execute the punishment. Because there's a sense of, okay, say I watch somebody do something wrong. Um, and uh, on what basis do I need to tell them that? On what basis do I need to deliver the verdict, right? And that's where you start asking the question, like, don't judge me. Who, what, who made you my judge? Is, is the question of, do I have any obligation? Is, is it right or good for me to communicate that to them or to other people? Because if I judge you and talk to Anna about it, I'm gossiping, right? In the body of Christ as believers, if I conclude you've sinned, I ought to come talk to you. But Jesus says privately, not talking to other people. And, and, and even then I should come asking questions. Hey, Steve, I saw you do this, and I don't think that was right. Is there something going on I missed or what? So in the body of Christ, and especially in the local church, we have an obligation to come speak to each other, but we do it with the right attitude. We do it after pulling logs out of our own eyes, and we do it not to go, ha-ha, I saw you mess up, but to try to restore you. So I think most of what our world doesn't like is when we pronounce judgments we have no business pronouncing. Like, why on earth does it matter what you... Th- what, do you know what I think of this senator? And we should be asking ourselves these questions. Who, like, anyway, um, that's a whole rabbit trail I could go down. Um, but we'll just, because we're given this public, we're given social media, and so of course the world wants to know what I think. And, and we always speak in the most inflammatory and absolute terms. It's never, it's never, you don't see people saying, I'm concerned that perhaps this was an unwise policy. This is the worst decision. Or it would be like, click here to see the most shocking decision you've ever seen. And I'm just, wow. So 
I would say the big difference, technically it's between separating and coming to a conclusion, but most of the time when our culture says judge not lest you be judged, and what they mean is us communicating, and us communicating in a disdainful way, or us communicating in a, a looking down way, the verdict itself. That's, I think, what most people mean when they talk about judging and being judgmental. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of truth there, because we really have to ask ourselves, why ought I communicate this verdict that I've come to, even if it's a right and righteous verdict. You know, um, I see somebody wearing immodest clothing. Okay, it's clearly immodest. Ma'am, I just wanted to let you know that you're drawing a lot. I mean, why, why do I have that obligation to do that? Now, maybe there are some reasons, and I might help my kids understand something when they see somebody. I mean, my kid will go out places, my kids will go, whoa. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to help them understand what's going on. But you ought to have some sort of redemptive reason, because I think a lot of times when we gossip, it's because we want to play judge. I want to tell you what I think about him. I don't care enough to restore him. I don't care enough to help him. I just want to tell you what I think about him. (laughs) And I think that is wicked, um, because there is one. I mean, go go to James. James chapter um, 4. We're playing God when we do that, and God doesn't like it. And again, there's a difference between identifying something. What? What? Oh. Well, we have to fight all the open doors from people coming in, and then we don't have people coming in, and we have a quarter of the people in here, and the ACs win. Um, There's a difference. I mean, I want to specify. There's a difference between saying we're discussing, say, public policy. I I really disagree with, you know, Let's just say I disagree with building the wall that Trump's proposing. I'm talking about that. I disagree. I don't think it's a good idea. And here's why. I see what you did there, Steve. I see what you did there. And there's one thing. You can, you can, and, and because these are our elected officials, and there is a sense in which we ought to evaluate them and see what we think of them. And if I voted for someone, do I want to vote for them again? And you know, that type of stuff. Sure. But you can do that without the disdain, and that's just stupid, and that's the stupidest part. They only do stupid things, and you know, that type of stuff. Then now you're really acting like you're the lawgiver. Now you're acting like you're the one on the bench. And you know, it's written, you shall not speak evil of a leader of your people. Even Paul in the New Covenant repents. Remember? The, 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 the high priest strikes him, and Paul says, you're going to judge me according to the law. You strike me against the law, you whitewashed tomb. And they say to him, will you speak thus to the high priest? And Paul says, brothers, I did not know, for it is written, you shall not speak evil against the leader of your people. Yeah, we could probably use a dose of Paul's hesitancy there. Um, so, James 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against, and here's the notion, speak. This is the notion, of, and he's going to connect it with judging. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you are judged of the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So he's connecting there with the speaking and communicating something against you to somebody else. I'm not talking to you. I'm speaking against you to the third party. And in so doing, I'm acting like I am the lawgiver, not the one under the law. I'm acting like I'm the judge who renders out the sentence. Can you believe what Steve did? And I'm trying to take the place of God, and God doesn't like that. 
He's kind of jealous for his role as God. So I think that's mostly what people are getting at when they talk about in our culture of judging and being judgmental. Of course we come to conclusions. Of course we interpret things. And of course we decide, that was good, that was bad, or I don't know what I think of that. But it's the communicating of it that we need to ask ourselves. What, what, what? I mean, Ephesians 4.20 um, let no unwholesome, literally no rotten or stinking, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth, but only, only as is necessary and may give grace to those who hear. That's going to limit a lot of what I say. How is this necessary? How is this going to bless anybody? Now, a rebuke can bless somebody. I mean, it doesn't mean you always have to say nice, happy things. Um, but it means there's a constructive purpose. This person is the better off for what I have said. They have benefited from what I've said. Lee, microphone. Now, don't tell me you ever have opinions, Lee. No, I, I have lots of <laughs> opinions. And, and that's okay, but I don't, I don't A, post them on Good. social media. And the other thing is, is uh, about the tongue. And I was, mm. that's also in James. Mm -hmm. that if anyone does not, or if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And I think that's what it all boils down to because, yes, we all have those thoughts like, oh, that was stupid, you know, or whatever. But do I have to say it? Please, just shut up. Everybody yeah. should mostly shut up. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my mother, there you are, mother. The earliest memory verse I ever remember being taught that she would grind into me, and I'll quote it in the King Jimmy, because that's what I had to learn then. Um, if any man considers himself, considereth himself religious, yet bridleth not his own tongue, and deceiveth his own heart, that man's religion is in vain. Yeah. James has a lot to say about, let's just see what you say. Let's just see what you say. Absolutely. Okay. Other questions, other thoughts, other... Input. Oop, Crystal. It's going to muddy the waters a little bit, but everything's making sense that we're talking about. So when you're, restoration, right? And if you're saying what you need to say to um, to stop that sin, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm mostly thinking about maybe in. in the household sure. when there's maybe name calling and yeah. yelling and, and it's not okay. Yeah. So then <clears throat> if I go ahead and cause when the person's doing that to you, they're, they don't really care what, if they're hurting you, but right. if I can say it in a way that, you know, this is not okay. God says it's not okay. You know, kind of right. Re right. in a, in a righteous way and, and, and for the right reasons, but you can't say, and if you do that, you know, this is what's going to happen, you know, because you can't. Right. I think, I think. So, so then yeah. personal boundaries and all that. So then what do you do about um, when you are calling out the sin mm. and you can't set down the, the judgment or the, you know, what's going to happen to you if you keep doing this. But besides praying for them, yeah. of course, that's the first thing you can mm. do for when it, you get your personal boundaries crossed, then what are you supposed to do? Great question. A lot, a lot of it is going to depend, and I'm not necessarily looking for clarity in this format. A lot of it will depend on whether you're dealing with your children, your husband, a brother and a sister. For those people who you're in authority over, 
you can you can act with a lot more authority and you can not only call out wrong behavior you can demand repentance and you can instill a punishment or a judgment as a consequence right um in fact frequently what serena and i will have to remind each other of doing is when we start to get exasperated with the children and raise our voice or whatever serena stop yelling at them go discipline them like 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 they're clearly i get that they're doing something wrong or she'll say that to me you're doing something wrong it needs to be dealt with instead of letting it just irritate you and responding in your anger go be their parent and bring wrath in a righteous way you know um amen if you're dealing with your husband um I think it's appropriate to identify, I don't think this is right, doing it in a way that's not, doing it in a way that, that makes it clear you're not trying to command him or anything. If it was your husband, say, dear, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't, I don't think the way you're talking is right. And if he doesn't take that then and there, I wouldn't press the issue. Paul, I mean, Peter tells wives, um, likewise, you wives, submit your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word the conduct of their wives. So I wouldn't get into a big argument. You've, you've mentioned your protest. I don't, I don't think this is right. I don't, I don't think this is good. He doesn't care in that moment. Great. Maybe you can come and revisit it at a time when he's not angry or time he's not upset. And maybe even then he said, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, fine. Then, then I'd really just go to First Peter 3 and uh, just say, okay, I'm going to try to win my husband without arguing and quarreling with him. Um, if it's a sibling, a brother or sister, or you're on a completely even basis, um, I think you can speak to them respectfully as to appear. So a lot of it has to do with who you're talking to, whether you're talking up, whether you're talking down, whether you're talking across um, structures. But again, I think you can do it to all cases without condescending. What, what, what I should never do to my children is the, I can't believe you did that. You know, it should be, no, Abner, Sophie, Zadok, that was wrong, and here's what's going to happen. Sure, Absolutely. We're identifying what's wrong. In fact, one of the things we have in our household is before we give any sort of correction, I want the child to tell me what they did that was wrong. What'd you do? I want to make sure we're on the same page so you don't just think, well, what I did was dad was irritated and he hadn't had his coffee yet, and so I just got to learn to not mess around with dad then. No, and then name it. Name what it is. It was wrong. Okay, great. Here's what's going to happen. And then, daddy, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, of course. And we restore him. We've named it. We've dealt with it. But you can do all of that without me sneering and you know that needs there needs to be no place for that i'm a steward so it's really kind of like my dad told me what he wants me to do with you and you broke my dad's rules our dad's rules so here's what happens and they i've confessed her great wonderful now we can get back to doing our thing it doesn't have to involve me getting angry at all um and if i am getting irritated i need to rein that in and, and be calm and you know not not connected with those things yeah because kids will say mean things to each other you know and uh you can teach them and you can um, point out what they're saying. You know, I'll say this to my kids, they'll be fighting over something. You know, Abner, it sounds like you think that toy is more important than your sister. Is that true? Let's <laughs> well, see, you know, Abner's old enough to know the right answer to that one. Um, or Sophie, is that more important than your brother? Sounds like you're willing to hurt your brother to get that. Is it more important? And they don't have known what to say, because if they say yes, I say, okay, then you've made it an idol, and God smashes idols, and so do I. Um, and <laughs> it's hard to smash Legos. You could, they melt. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so, <laughs> so, no, 
But those are the types of questions you can ask to show them not just what they're doing is wrong, but why it's wrong. You're acting like that thing is more important than that person who bears God's image and is your brother or your sister. Um, if you think they've done you wrong, you need to find a way to say that without calling them names. If you think that they've, there's an injustice, you think they've taken something that's yours, by all means, you know, and I have to tell what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to ask them to give it back. What happens if they don't give it back? You come and tell me. I'm trying to tell my kids, like, seriously, I will fight for you. But they never do it. They, they, they take it in their own hands constantly. Like, no, seriously, please, just try it once. Ask nicely. They say no. Come and get me. Come and get me. But whenever they come to me, it's, did you always ask them, mm, did, you, did you tell them you didn't like that and ask them to stop? <laughs> okay, why, why are you telling me about it? Go talk to them first. They're your brother. You know, um, I wish they'd do that. So, so anyway, we can talk more in private, but against both those basic levels in the structure. But in every instance, we can, and especially when we're dealing with people calling themselves Christians, we can identify those things. But it's all how we do it is just as important as, you know, if you're like, oh, there you go again. You know, that's, that's got that measure of judgment that's the bad type where I'm looking down on you and I'm, and I'm letting you feel my anger because I'm a judge and you will feel my wrath. You know, and that, that's what we need to try to root out. Um, the, the person we're talking to should get some idea that we're actually trying to do this for their good. And that's, that's the question my wife will ask me that's crazy convicting. Um, so you women take note. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, are you upset because God's glory and for my good or just because you're not getting your own way? Yeah. You know, if I'm going on about something, I, this is, I can't believe it, I don't like this. I'm just having a hard time hearing you because I'm not sure you're talking to me because you're concerned for my good and God's glory or if you're just concerned for getting your own way. Man, that'll... <laughs> now, you've got to say that sincerely, ladies. I didn't want to just give you like a hammer to hit somebody with, but if you can say that sincerely, man, is that convicting. Um, the, the other one's just like it. If you have prayerfully thought through this and you think this is what's best for our family and for God's glory, I'll be happy to do it. Can't it just be because I want to? Want to? You know. Um, so anyway, okay. I don't know how I got off onto this topic, but let's 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 uh, let's go. Anything else? Bob, microphone. Uh, I have a thought that isn't necessarily a question, but it'll probably turn into a clarification from some other people here, perhaps. But. Uh, one thing doesn't seem like we've addressed with respect to judge not lest you be judged mm. is the way the world uses it. I think I heard uh, R.C. Sproul say once that that's the most quoted verse in the Bible because yeah. everybody knows it. Yeah. And the world's using it to shut us down. Yeah. Tell us to back off, to quit being intolerant. We don't want to hear your side of the story. Right. Um, and it seems to me that um, a real understanding of the passage would give us um, reason to show the hope that is within us. Right. And uh, um, I, I just, and it, it's so much in your face now. You know, the, the world is in your face and they want to be in your face and then they're, they're freaking us out, making it so we can't speak because when they say judge not lest you be judged, right. we need to really know what this verse means so that yeah. we can speak freely. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Just recently, and I hear I will attempt to cite a recent political thing without scorn. 
But just, no, but one of the, this proves the point. Our culture, because it's postmodern in part and because it's changed the definition of tolerance, now equates I disagree with you with I hate you. I think you're wrong and I despise you. Those are the two things they now assume are the same. And if you saw, what was the position that the nominee was up for? Bernie Sanders cross-examined him about his religious beliefs. What position, what cabinet or something? Well, Trump's administration had put somebody forward for a position and a nominated for a position. And Bernie Sanders and another senator discovered that he had written a statement on a blog in defense of Wheaton College a couple of years ago. Wheaton College, which is a Christian institution, confessional Christian institution, let a faculty member go for heterodox beliefs about Islam. They'd come out, a faculty member come out saying Muslims were going to heaven with their system and they didn't need Jesus and whatever. And so there's, there was some uh, uproar at the time, this was years ago, about you know them firing this person. And he had written on the blog in their defense. And one of the things he'd said on the blog is that according to the Bible, you know, the Muslims stand condemned because they reject the Son. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Something like that, right? Well, Bernie Sanders or one of his aides had dug this up and asked the guy this question. And he said... No, no, I don't believe, I don't, oh, well, Bernie Sanders is a non-practicing Jew, though, but yeah. He asked about Muslims and Jews, and this, this man, I believe, uh, stated clearly, uh, I'm a Christian, and according to Christian belief, no, um, if, you, if you're not putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going you're to be condemned. And then Bernie went off on how that this type of thinking, and he called it Islamophobic, um, and other things. And aside from the fact that the Constitution clearly prohibits a religious test for office, which is exactly what that was, I'm just noting, I state, I think the Bible teaches people who don't come to Christ are condemned. I, I, I believe Muslims are going to be condemned. I believe not Jews who aren't believing in the Messiah are condemned. So you hate them and you're afraid of them. No, I didn't say that. I just said I think the Bible says they're condemned. But our culture more and more and more equates, I think you're wrong with I hate you. And that's part of the problem as well, is that even, you know, and here's a situation where it is appropriate for this guy to give his verdict. He's asked a question, what do you believe? You know what I mean? It'd be another thing if I'm wearing a shirt saying, you know, Muslims are going to hell around everywhere. That, that might be a bit provoking, unhelpful. Um, but he's asked the question, he gives an answer, and and so... Our culture, again, don't judge me. And that's why they want to ask the question about you know, homosexuality and gay marriage and the whole gender issue. And, but, but that's why I started by saying we really need to think when and where is it appropriate for us even to voice our opinions. But where it is appropriate, we need to do so without fear and clearly and without um, mincing words. And again, there's a balancing act. You know, um, If we're going to talk about homosexuality, unless you live breathe and bleed the King James, can we please not talk about sodomites? That is an intentionally inflammatory term. Now, if you're using that term because that's the term your Bible uses, and from, great. But if you just whip that out in discussions as sort of your higher horse thing, it's unhelpful. Um, I, would, I would suggest as much as possible when we're not equivocating terms and we're not using euphemistic language, if you can use a less abrasive term and still be accurate. and Because I mean, sometimes we use euphemisms simply as a way of softening things, and that's not good. But, but no one's going to 
practically make any distinction from homosexual or same-sex marriage or whatever with sodomite. And, and one of those is really going to be inflammatory, I think. Um, so on the one hand, let's not be intentionally inflammatory. On the other hand, let's not try to dance behind words and, and try to redefine things and just know to speak. But, are, but don't be surprised. The world's going to hate the light. I mean, what Bob is describing is just another manifestation of the world doesn't know you because you're not from the world. They, when they understood what Jesus was saying, they nailed him to a tree. And when they understand what we're saying, um, they'll, they'll try to do something similar. Um, that, that's the way it is. So we want to get out of the way as much as possible. Sometimes Christians are hated just because they're jerks. I mean, just, right? I mean, no, I mean, the, the exemplars of that, like Westboro Baptist. What the world hates about them, I hate about them. Well, I know, but, they're, but, but you can see how ugly that is. So let's try not to be that <laughs> when we're talking. Let's try, not, let's try to avoid that um, and, and try to make it clear. And so one of the things actually I try to do when I talk to my more liberal or non-believing friends is to make it clear. I reprobate that too. I think that's awful as well. However, I'm persuaded from the scriptures that these things are true, and this is one of those things, and this is what God says, and so we just have to deal with it. And yeah. Hold on, microphone. Man, that was uh, before Bernie Sanders' committee. Um, I mean, he he gave such a beautiful response. It's like you know, it, here's the worst of it: is oh, you're a Christian and you say that. Well, are you a Christian and you believe you should be kind to people and bury your brother's <laughs> burdens? And yeah. should you do all that too? Because if that's true, well, then it's not so <laughs> yeah. bad. But yeah. you know, and he did give a really good response, oh, yeah. reminding him that mm. also Christians we still respect people and love people and yeah. you know well and our culture seems surprised but what i want to i mean i got in a, a symposium down at simpson and we were talking about our historical backgrounds and one of the points i made and asked one of the professors i'm pretty sure that out of all of us i'm most in step with what wesley because it's a wesleyan church like can we can we concede that i'm most in line with what he believed that I'm standing in tradition of 2,000 years of church history, of which these founders you're pointing to would be most comfortable with? Like, well, no, they know who Wesley is. And I'm not even, I mean, on other terms, John Wesley and I would not be on the same page, but we've got so much more in common than, you know, some of the other folks at the symposium. But people forget, like, this is just the historic Christian faith. Like, do you realize John Newton and all these other people that you revere believe the same thing I believe? about marriage, about sexuality, about everything else. Like, like, you can disagree with it. It's not like this is some new development in Christianity. It's not like we just came up with this. Like, this is what the historic faith has believed for its existence, you know? Um, so can you guys stop acting so shocked by it? You can, Feel free to disagree with it and question it, but the shock, the, I can't believe you think that, you know, come on. Uh, I mean, I heard one guy there asking him something. Um, um, I'm a Christian, and this may surprise you, but I, I believe the Bible. <laughs> That's kind of his answer. Because they were like, so you believe, this is like the fifth time they're asking the question, so you believe that, 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 that. Um, like I said, I'm a Christian, and, and so yeah, I believe the Bible. Uh, <laughs> is, anyway, um, no. Okay, we're off topic. We got 10 minutes. Linda. Okay, I'm bringing us back to the lesson. <laughs> Good. I don't know. It's been an enjoyable. I, I like. I like. I like rabbit trails. Anyone who knows me knows I do. But yeah, I was surprised of where we went to this morning. So it's cool. Bring us back home, Linda. <laughs> okay. So 
and maybe this isn't a question, but anyway. So obviously the woman was there yeah. at the synagogue. Yeah. And I'm, it sounds like she, you know, was a regular. But when they, you know, the they were indignant because Jesus healed, but she didn't come there that day right. expecting to be healed. Right. She'd been coming for however long, and, you know, it hadn't happened, so it's not like, but yet they're rebuking the rest of the crowd to don't come and be healed like she came seeking to be healed yeah. that day, but she right. didn't. She was, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. she just appears on the scene in the text. It's behold. In fact, I would say we don't even know if she regularly came. It, it's just behold a woman. You know what I mean? And then she's... She, Boom, she's there. And so, no, we don't know. And part of what's interesting, we know nothing else about her. Was she a woman of faith? Was she a kind woman? Was she a wicked woman? Was she a faithful woman? She was crooked. It had been 18 years. We learned something about her, that when this good thing is under, she praises God. But that's not terribly impressive, because plenty of people, when they win a million dollars, they score a touchdown I mean, so it may be legitimate. We don't know if she came to faith in her Messiah or if she's burning in hell. We don't know anything. It's about Jesus. The flow of the text, I got my translation here, is, um, and seeing her, Jesus called her. I mean, you get the, and the structure of the verbs of the participle first, he, in seeing her, he calls her. He sees her, and as, as he's seeing her, he calls her. So it's not like he makes note of her, thinks, I'm going to pick a fight with the Jews today. This is really about Jesus' response of compassion. In fact, the similarity of construction goes back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the Samaritan saw him, he felt compassion. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't like, I will feel compassion for you. The compassion was in his heart was drawn out by him seeing this person, this plight. And I think it's the same thing here. Seeing her, of course I'm going to do something for her. Come over here. So the, I, it's all about Jesus and his heart. It's not about this worthy woman. We, we have stories like that. We have the, 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 um, the centurion who sends the people to Jesus, and they say, come, for he is worthy. And then as he draws near, he sends out some other people. Don't come, he's not worthy. And it's all about that, and Jesus marvels at his faith. We've seen stories of people who deserve, Jesus sees the faith of the men who let him down the mat through the ceiling, and seeing their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. None of that here. This is just compassion. He's here to announce the Lord's... One of the other points I didn't make in the message is that Isaiah quotation, to announce the year of the Lord's favor, is jubilee language. And the jubilee is nothing but the national Sabbath. It's the year-long Sabbath, where you let the lands lie fallow, and you give them rest. And debts are canceled and forgiven, and slaves are released you see how Jubilee fits in with Sabbath? If Jesus is here to announce the year of the Lord's favor, he's here to announce Jubilee, the release of our sins, the release of our debts to God. What could be more fitting than a Sabbath for him to carry out his commission of releasing and freeing? Um, it, it all fits in with that. So th this is about Jesus and him, who he is and his ministry and the contrast with the leader. So yes, I'm glad for this woman that she's healed, but the story isn't really about her. The story is about Jesus and about the contrast between his heart of compassion and this guy who's more concerned about his donkey than this woman. That's, that's the point. It's really black and white, and it's really polar. You've got Jesus and how beautiful he is. And we should marvel at his beauty and his heart and then how ugly this person and his thinking is. And, and, and that's what you get, is here's something beautiful and here's something really ugly. 
and it's left at the end when some people were put to shame and some people rejoiced. And you know, then we have to decide which of the, the, the dividing line we come down on. So the dice ramble on a bit. So when he identifies her as a daughter of Abraham, is that specifically to them saying, hey, she's one of your own, you should be caring more about what happens to her than... Yeah, I, again, I think it's vindicating. I, I think it assumes that she's been marginalized. I think it assumes that she's been snubbed, that she's been looked over. And so basically, since you guys are so big about being sons of Abraham, have you forgotten that she's a daughter of Abraham too? Have you afforded her that privilege, that honor that you afford yourselves? Because we know in John, in Luke 3, that when John the Baptist says, don't presume to say we have Abraham for a father, they thought it was a big deal they were sons of Abraham. Um, she's, she's a daughter too. And it's also giving her a dignity. I mean, this woman who is hunched over, has been that way for 18 years, and is, is um, presumably she did something wrong. She's a child and daughter of Abraham. Jesus is... I think um, validating her, showing her kindness, um, showing her um, honor in a sense, like you are a recipient of the promises of Abraham. You're not disqualified from the Abraham's blessings just because you've been hunched over for 18 years. You're not, you're not too bad to, to qualify for that. And publicly, he, this is a daughter of Abraham, guys. You should be caring for her. You should be, she's one of your own. She's one of your tribe. You know, um, so, something along those lines, I think. If that, if that helps at all. Four minutes, and then I'm on vacation. <laughs> Steve, this, the problem is here, this won't be four minutes. This will be at least ten. But okay. Uh, I just want to say that I'm really glad you're leaving. <laughs> so, enjoy your vacation and come back restored. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And on that note, I will actually let us out four minutes early. Okay. Thank you very much.